Welcome everyone to a special live edition which has been created to support London Fashion Week. For those of you who are not aware, London Fashion Week occurs twice a year, every February and every September. In response to the COVID crisis, this year's format to the year's shows and schedules are a little different. Excitingly, London will be the first fashion capital to experiment with blending physical and digital shows. And I hope this podcast will aim to support the pressures that come throughout Fashion Week. For those of you who don't know, Fashion Week can bring a host of fantastic opportunities for up and coming models and designers, but it does also bring a lot of sleepless nights, increased pressures to remain a certain size, a lot of rejection, and very poor nutrition. And due to this, mental health of young models and designers do suffer. And for many of you who are listening who might not be in the fashion industry, but are returning in September to your high pressured work jobs, back to day to day life, these pressures still coexist. And many of you will be having a lot of stress, again, poor sleep, and probably poor nutrition. So this special series around London Fashion Week aims to bring highlights from our Be Well Collective Summit of sharing inspiring talks from leaders and shakers in the industry, as well as renowned experts covering social comparison, meditation, and movement. Live Well, Be Well opens up its resources to everybody whether you're in the fashion industry or not, in the aim to help support your physical and mental well-being. In this episode, we have a fantastic expert who actually appeared in my first ever series of Live Well, Be Well. Some of you might know who I'm about to introduce, but I was absolutely thrilled to welcome her on stage at the Live Wellbeing Summit of the BWA Collective. Kimberly Wilson is a psychologist and she talks here all about social comparison and how we can manage our emotions and how we can have control over these situations. I was absolutely thrilled to introduce Kimberly on stage and I hope you find this episode as powerful as I did. But I don't know if any of you follow Kimberly on social media. You definitely should. She's a really positive account to follow, um, especially during London Fashion Week. Actually, not just, as Karen said, not just London Fashion Week. Um, we do it pre-London Fashion Week because I felt like it was a very intense time, but it's a topic we need to keep speaking about throughout 365 days of the year. But Kimberly Wilson is a chartered psychologist and also soon to be author. If only your book was out a few weeks earlier, you'd have been able to pick it up here today. You have a podcast called Stronger Minds, um, which I'd also all recommend you to listen to. And I quickly, after listening to that, it's really how I came across you, realised that you had this whole body approach with nutrition and mental health, and it's not just segregated, it all comes together, which is the approach that I take in nutrition as well. And I called Kimberly up and told her about the BWAC Collective and feel like I've known Kimberly for about three years. It was a 20 minute 
conversation on the phone that turned into two and a half hours on a Friday morning. Um, and I missed two meetings, but I couldn't get off the phone to you, so <laughs> I didn't stop. But I kind of exposed how the fashion industries run. Not exposed, that's the wrong word, actually. Just explained, really, because I don't think people realise that it isn't just a glamorous lifestyle, that it is really hard work. And it is a lot of schedules, a lot of travelling, and a lot of time on your own. Um, and maybe that's not just modelling, that's also journalists, press, everyone within the industry. So you are going to talk about the social comparisons. And I mean, I'm just going to let you speak, actually, because I'll probably do less justice. So without further ado, I will hand you over to Kimberly, who's going to address all issues of mental health for you guys. Um, yeah, so I can't do all of mental health in 20 minutes. But what I thought I would do is that in this, my discussion with Sarah Ann, I thought what I could do is offer you kind of the best bang for your buck in terms of understanding some of the issues that I think you might be most confronted with in the fashion industry. And so I thought I would hit on two main theories that I think are really important and then a little bit of a solution towards the end that you might be able to use. Because I think sometimes if you can't fix something, just understanding what the problem is can help you feel as if you've got a little bit more control over it. And if you feel like you've got more control over something, it's just less stressful. It's really about helping you to manage stress. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about is is social comparison theory. Anybody familiar? Okay. So social comparison theory is, I think, very helpful in contextualizing why we sometimes get into a bit of a loop in comparing ourselves to each other and trying to gauge where we are against other people. So in one sense, it's a very, very natural human function and capacity. We like to know where we are in the social hierarchy. We like to know, well, like, am I smarter than this person? Am I taller than that person? So we like to know where we fit, what our relative, so relative to the other person, strengths and weaknesses are. And that's fine. In our evolutionary history, when we basically lived in quite small tribes of people who were very similar to us, right? So you'd be comparing yourself to someone you might be related with or who was part of your a very similar group to you. And so the differentials were quite small. Alas, that is not the environment that we live in now, and particularly in social media. And of course, a lot of you, and, and not just the models, because I think if you're in the fashion industry and it's an industry in which you are objectively judged, then that's the kind of environment it kind of seeps out. It becomes the almost atmosphere that for everyone, whether it's the models or the photographers or the makeup artists, the designers. So with the advent of social media, with the environment as it is, actually what you have is an astonishingly high rate or high opportunity to compare yourself on a level that psychologically we're not used to and actually not prepared for. So you're going to have this kind of ratcheting up effect of this otherwise normal, natural experience. It's kind of, you've dialed it up to 11. And I think you just need to know that that's something, A, that's quite normal. B, it's very automatic. And so if you catch yourself doing it, don't worry, but also to remember that it's almost your brain working on autopilot and you just need to take a moment and be like, okay, this is a natural function that's been turned up in an unnatural environment. Yeah. And that leads me on to the second part, which is self-objectification. So self-objectification is fairly self-explanatory. It's the idea that we begin to see ourselves as objects. So rather than seeing ourselves as kind of integral, whole organisms, a mind and a body, a spirit, if you like, as well, that we just kind of look at ourselves as pieces, you know, my foot, my leg, my, you know, my hair. And of course, I feel like you guys are under enormous pressure in terms of self-objectification because in real terms, you are kind of objectified, right? So, you know, I don't want to be mean about it. Um, but, you know, so there is an innate natural 
built-in objectification in the work. You are being judged. You are being judged on portions of your body, the proportions of your body. You're being judged in comparison to somebody else. And so that's really going to raise this risk of self-objectification. So self-objectification is when you start to view yourself from the outside as an object. And it kind of takes you away from a sense of yourself as a person. And if you get separated from yourself as a person, that it ends up, you kind of end up relating to yourself in kind of fragmented parts. So maybe you like your legs, but you don't like your arms, or you like your face most of the time, but not on Tuesdays, you know, like it becomes this very broken up way of relating to yourself. And psychologically, we think that's kind of dangerous because your your best and longest relationship you're ever going to have is with yourself. And so we want you to be nurturing that and keeping that as integrated as possible. So given that you are under enormous pressure of external outside objectification plus your own self-objectification, one of the things I like to encourage people to do is to focus on a non-physical aspect of themselves. So on my website, I've actually got a task that I do with clients, which is called the values sort card task. And what it asks you to do, it's kind of like 85, you can download it if you want to. It's 85 or so different values. So things like love, kindness, compassion, achievement, ambition, learning, fun, humor, all of those sorts of things. And what I invite you to do is to take those cards and to sort them and try to find your top 10. So sort them into piles and there's instructions on the, on the website. Very important, not important, important. So you put them into columns, you decide which values are most important to you, and then you find your top 10. And that's really hard. People hate me when I do this because we all like to think that we have values. If I asked anybody here, you'd be like, yeah, 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 I've got values. Yeah, yeah, I've got values. But no one actually sits down to stop and think about exactly what they are, what they mean, and how you actually live them in your life day to day. So it's a very good exercise for just getting clear on who you are internally, what your values are, and how you live them. And the final part of that is that I will sit with a client, for example, and say, all right, so you've said that humor is very important to you. It's a core value. It's how you describe yourself. How is that expressed in your daily life? How, where do we see it? And if we don't see it, how can we turn that up? How can we get more humor into your daily life? How can we help you to live that value much more? And what that does is to shift the focus away from body, from physicality, from externals, from validation to internal satisfaction, self, self-growth, self-actualization, and to help you to focus on living a life that's driven by core values and, and that feels meaningful for you. So those are the main things. Okay, then I can have a, an opportunity to quickly talk to you about food. Because the other part of my work, my work sits at the overlap between food and psychology. So I work a lot with an area called nutritional psychiatry, which is the impact of food and nutrients on the brain. Um, but also with relationships with food. So disordered eating, unusual relationships with food, so people who perhaps steal food, hoard food, kind of the more unusual kind of relationships with food. And I'm sure you've been speaking to you about food lots and lots and lots. And I guess I just want to kind of highlight the idea that food is emotional. You know, the food we all have innately, internally, psychologically, an emotional relationship with food. Because food always takes us back somewhere. It takes us back 
often to family. Perhaps it takes us back to culture. It takes us back to festivals, Christmas. We think about comfort food and psychologically comfort food is a thing because it connects us back to physiologically the temperature sensing parts of your brain, the networks in your brain, overlap with the emotional sensing parts of the brain. So essentially what happened was when you were evolving and we started, we developed language, there wasn't enough additional space in the brain to get a new area of the brain to deal with language. So when we moved from dealing with concrete things to abstract ideas, your brain was just kind of like, we need to tap that on somewhere. So it kind of piggybacks on the temperature sensing stuff that was already there. And that's one of the reasons that across culture, we describe people whom we like as warm and people that we don't like or don't get on with as cold. So there's these kind of physical associations. If you put people in a warm room and introduce someone to them, they will report that that person that they've met is nicer, kinder, more friendly than if you meet the same person in a cold room. So all of these things really affect your psychology. And food is one of those. It's one of the reasons that comfort foods tend to be hot, right? It's one of the reasons people have like custard and jacket potatoes, macaroni cheese. It's these kind of warm, soft foods that kind of switch on these sensing areas of the brain. It's the reason no one ever has like a comfort salad, right? It's just, it doesn't happen. Um, I think one of the other things is that I think having a good relationship with food, I think is fundamental to having a good relationship with yourself. And the reason for that is, is I think, and maybe it's just a personal position, if you don't trust yourself with your food choices and you make food choices every day, several times a day, how will you trust yourself to make any other choices? Right? Those are the, it's a kind of baseline. It's a foundation for your sense of self-trust. Like, I know what my body needs. I know what I want. I know what I fancy. I'm going to allow myself to have it. But if you're in a situation where you're always second guessing, where you're always saying, I want that, but I'm not sure I should have it. Is this okay? I don't know. What did I have yesterday? What am I going to have tomorrow? Have I, you know, you start to undermine your internal sense of decision making. And I know you're under enormous pressure to eat in particular ways. I think to, because your body is your aesthetic, it is your job. But I guess I just want to kind of lodge that idea that it's really important to hold on to these non-aesthetic parts of food and of eating and of your relationship with yourself. The biggest thank you to Kimberly for sharing her expertise and knowledge as well as tools to help us all guide and navigate our way through stressful situations and emotions. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please do subscribe to the podcast share with friends and if you can please do leave a five star rating it will help more than you ever believe it helps our podcast grow within the charts and for more people to recognize the live well be well podcast and if you haven't yet please do download the great british veg out it's packed full of free recipes shopping lists and tips on how to reduce food waste and it is free for the rest of september so please head to my website, sarahannmacklin.com for more information and to download the free book. And until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. <laughs>